0: Hey fellow romance readers, I'm Amy. And I'm Sarah, and this is Post Depression. You know
1: that feeling you get when you finish a good book that you didn't want to end?
0: Have you finished a book and just weren't ready to move on from the story and its beloved characters? You find yourself needing just a little more? Well, this multi-trope romance podcast gives you the opportunity to dig deeper with us into books we love as we discuss all the reasons we can't move on. Feeling chatty? You can continue the conversation with us on Instagram
1: at Post Book Depression Podcast or on Facebook in our Postbook Depression Discussion Group.
0: We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and take a brief moment to leave a review. Are you ready? Let's discuss. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we're going to discuss Darling Venom by Parker S. Huntington the first few minutes, we're going to do a brief review of the story without any spoilers, then we are going to shift into that deeper book discussion, which will include plenty of spoilers. But as always, we're going to let you know before we shift into the discussion portion. Darling Venom is a broken love story about an unlikely bond between two young restless souls that ends in tragedy. Forced to deal with the consequences, just when one story ends, another one begins in the most unlikely of places. This moving story is laced with angst and forbidden romance, but weaves in beauty after tragedy. As a caution, this story does deal with a heavy topic, so we want to be mindful and encourage you to check the trigger warnings for this story before you go in. Sarah, what did you think of Darling Venom?
1: Amy, this story is so raw. It's very heavy. It deals with a heavy topic. I was emotional throughout reading this entire thing I just felt like she addressed the topic very well she there's a lot of grief there's she deals with there's a character who is very much going through the stages of grief and we see that in a way that a lot of times you don't see how people are being impacted by the topic that is addressed in this story Mm -hmm. so I found it very moving it was a phenomenal story I I really enjoyed it. And I kind of, I'm a little hesitant to say I enjoy this story, because it is so emotional, what we are reading, but she did it very well. What did you think? Of it? Even
0: with the heavy topic, I would encourage people to read the book. Yes, it's, it is. It is a tragically beautiful story and while like you mentioned it does cover a heavy topic I thought also that Parker did a wonderful job of working through the journey and the raw feelings of grief and tragedy this is an age gap forbidden romance and you know those are some of my favorite tropes so this book was one that I did fall in love with even though the topic of it is very heavy all right moving into our ratings angst gritting teeth emojis Okay. I actually just changed this because I was thinking about it. I had written
1: something else out, but I'm going to say a four. Okay. I had it at 3.5. I could probably go 3.7. I I felt that there was quite a bit of angst with certain points in the story where it was heightened for me, but there was also, I don't know, throughout, I guess I didn't feel the weight. A lot of times when you have a really angsty story, you feel that weight and I didn't quite feel that as much, I guess. So- Okay. What do I want to rate? it? <laughs> uh, I'll go 3.75. There we go. I changed it twice. What did you rate?
0: I gave three out of five. Like you, I didn't find myself stressed throughout the book, but the overall topic of the story was heavy, which contributed to the angst factor for me. Yeah. Humor, laughing emojis.
1: I gave it a 1.25. There's some throughout that made me kind of chuckle, But overall, I did not find the book to be humorous. There's just moments in it that...
0: I gave two out of five. Most of the sarcasm of the inner dialogue of the characters is what made the humor enjoyable for me. There was a lot of that inner dialogue that was just very sarcastic, that dry, Mm -hmm. sarcastic humor, which I love. And there were some laugh out loud moments, which we're going to cover in the deeper discussion portion. But I would say most of the humor for me was in that inner dialogue sarcasm. I ride spice in this.
1: Fire (laughs) emoji. I gave it a 2.5. Not because there's a
0: ton of it, but because the moments that they do have are, wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did 3 out of 5. Like you said, there's not a ton of scenes and it is definitely a slow burn, but when they finally happen, there's definitely descriptive dialogue and details that bumped my rating a bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> All right, tears crying emojis.
1: I probably should rate this higher. I did a 3. I did I, a
0: 3. Tell me why you gave it a 3.
1: I did not cry throughout, but I did cry. It's heavy, it's sad. There is tragedy that just is tears your heart out. So I
0: gave it a three. I didn't go any higher because I didn't feel like... You weren't like sobbing through the whole thing. Not through
1: the whole thing, Mm -hmm.
0: no. Yeah, this one got me in the fields department for sure. The overall topic of the story is heavy, and there are a lot of sad scenes that were difficult to read. What the characters deal with personally and how they process grief were really the contributing factors in my rating. All right, overall, how many stars? I gave it a five. Did you? Yeah, this is
1: a five for me. It's a moving story. It's done so well. And it's just one of those stories that kind of stays with you. Mm -hmm. So it's a five for me.
0: I did 4.25. I love the writing style for this one with both the hero and the heroine points of view and mostly short chapters that were fast paced, which helps because it is a long book. So it does break that up. It didn't feel long. It's a beautiful story of healing and working through grief and forgiveness and that it just really moved me. That concludes the spoiler-free quick review of the story. Now we're gonna shift into the deeper discussion portion, which is going to include plenty of spoilers. So if you haven't read the story, stop right now, go check it out, come back and listen to our discussion and then let us know your thoughts on the story. You can always hit us up on Instagram at postbook depression podcast or on Facebook in our postbook depression discussion group, and you can always email us at postbookdepressionpodcastgmail.com. At this book is a doozy, and there is tons to unpack, so let's kick it off, Sarah. The book breaks into three parts, so that's how we're going to break up our discussion today, starting with part one we kick off this story with Charlotte and Kellen meeting on the rooftop of their school. Let's dig in.
1: Okay, let's dig in. So I was so startled when she first gets up on the rooftop and sees this young teen boy sitting there about to like go over the edge. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a shocking moment because we know at this point as she's walking up, she's going up there to commit suicide. She has had tragedy in her family and she just kind of feels alone.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: when Kellen is up there, I was very taken back. I was surprised, especially his internal dialogue when he thinks, am I hearing things? (laughs) Because he doesn't really think Charlotte is there.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that someone else was there as well and that they were both there for the same reason. I really loved that they kind of had a connecting moment when she asks him to wait and stop and then they have a conversation and kind of shift gears a bit into some conversation and dialogue that keeps him from taking that uh, decision to the next step and this moves them into their conversation about struggling with what Kellen calls the black slug yeah and how they're dealing with that and they make this pact, essentially, that they would come back every Valentine's Day to check in on each other. What did you think about the fact that he would not allow her to have any communication with him throughout the year?
1: I really had a hard time with that because I just wanted these these characters had this connection and I wanted so badly for him to not feel alone. And the fact that he was not allowing Charlotte to connect with him at school, I understood his reasoning behind it because She does not know the extent of the bullying he endures Mm -hmm. and the fact that he was trying to protect her from that kind of bleeding over into her. I appreciate it, but I also didn't understand why can't they have more than just the notes in the books that they kind of develop. And also, I, I feel that it alluded to that they had more communication throughout the year than what we realized that they were passing these notes back and forth. It does. And I wish, honestly, that we could have had a little bit more of that. I know the book is really long, but I wanted to be privy to more than just the little snippets that we did get. Because it seemed like every now and then they might have connection in person, but when nobody was around, maybe I'm wrong on that.
0: Well, and I also felt like by doing that, they were just isolating themselves more, giving more room for that black slug to just grow. Yes, but
1: as we get further into the story... I feel like Kellen did that intentionally. Mm -hmm. Kellen had made up his mind. Yeah. And he knew he was going to go through with his suicide. He did. And the fact that he had already resolved to make that choice, I, I don't really know why he prolonged it. I'm thankful that he did because I feel like he was a lot of healing for Charlotte But at the same time, you know, he was just enduring so much that I wish that, I don't know, I wish that he would have allowed her to be there for him more. It seemed like when she tried, he kind of pushed that away. He didn't want anybody to help him.
0: Yeah I I had those same feelings and it made me sad for him Mm -hmm. that he would just prolong that choice inevitably for four years after having made that decision. As we get closer to that four-year mark we know that Charlotte goes to the principal Mm -hmm. and tries to intervene in that last year when she's really having these realizations that he's definitely unwell and if she doesn't try and intervene he's going to make this this choice. So she does go to the principal. She's the one that kind of breaks the contract, as he calls it, by speaking to him in public and really trying to reach out, going to his house. This angers him. And ultimately, he calls off their next Valentine's Day meeting. How did you feel when those scenes were taking place?
1: Oh, I was so heartbroken for both of them. I wish that Charlotte had made that choice earlier on and not through the... The principal but maybe reaching out to his brother I know she made the attempt she sat outside their neighbor's house and he called the cops on her so mm-hmm. I understand that she attempted but there is a part of me and I'm it's it's one of those things she carries that guilt so it's not one of those things you can't blame yourself she was 13 yeah you know and by the time she finally makes the decision she's 17 so you're young and you
0: we it's a heavy burden. It's a heavy alone. burden.
1: And you, you don't want to betray the one person that you're connecting with, especially because when she was 13, she's having those thoughts as well. Hers mm-hmm. just kind of kind of gets better. But I wish that she had, I don't know, maybe sooner done something different. And for Kellen, I was so heartbroken because she's making a, a, an attempt to help him and he's rejecting it. But I also understand that I can't even comprehend how he's feeling and those emotions that are driving him to make that decision. So if you're already in that mindset, I I guess his anger makes sense to me. It was just, it was hard. It's hard to, it's kind of one of those things where I don't know. I don't know what the right thing would have been and how she could have done anything differently that would have impacted without angering him.
0: Yeah, I agree. And the fact that she did finally make that choice to try and reach out to someone for help ultimately, I think was the right move.
1: Do you know, the person that I felt the most frustration with was the principal in that scenario, because nobody contacted Tate, Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand. Legally,
0: she was obligated to She do was that. obligated. <laughs> and she and definitely dropped the ball on
1: that. 100%. And, you know, I know that this is a prestigious school and I understand that, but how can you not? Yeah. and If you're calling in the person that is having these thoughts and these feelings, you don't call them in by themselves. No, you don't. You call in their guardian. You call in their parent. Their support system. You call system. in their support system. And you have the proper people in place before you just call them into the office. So honestly, I had a lot of anger towards the principal. Again, he, Kellen, at the end of the day, he made the decision he made and it's his choice. But as somebody who
0: is an authority, she handled it wrong. And I feel okay to say that. So absolutely. Shifting a bit away from Charlotte and Kellen, let's focus a little bit of time on what they call the night of, where she lights the cigarette, Mm -hmm. of her sisters, of Leah's, leaves it in the trash can full of fire retardant, basically all her nail varnish and remover, and ultimately taking the lives of her parents and leaving Leah severely burned and scarred.
1: So that was heavy because we know that there's a fire, but I didn't understand how Leah had suffered because she was out with her boyfriend at the time. So when we find out that Charlotte is terrified to walk out of her room and Leah goes in and gets her. But she, I mean, she would have made it out if that wall had not collapsed onto her. That was a very tragic scene to know that they had endured that, her being so young. But the fact that Leah, it put such a strain on their relationship. I was so, I I, I can't understand. Again, I, that's something until you walk in their, their shoes, you don't know how you're going to feel but every time that we kind of had the little insight to why Leah allows that strain on their relationship, she's not beautiful anymore in her eyes. She's still stunningly beautiful, but her face is scarred. I was so frustrated with her. I thought, are you, you, you care nothing about anything except for your own vanity. Your sister is alive and you walked into the fire to save her. So don't blame her because i
0: don't know that kind of brings in i know this is jumping ahead but it brings in the scene where tate ultimately goes to her and Mm -hmm. says this is on you you left the cigarettes you were the one that left the things in the trash can you chose to save your sister so stop blaming her
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that was a heavy scene and i was really the whole time i felt just so, yes, just tell her how it is because she had just behaved for eight years, nine years at that point. She's just kind of tortured her sister and Charlotte lets her. She lets, like, she lets her ignore her. She lets her have these little Because jabs. she feels
0: guilty and, also.
1: And it just, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we should have done this differently, should have done that. You know, the dad took the batteries out of the smoke alarm. You know, she put the stuff in the trash can. She left that night. Charlotte lit the cigarette. There's so many things that line up that if it had just gone a different way, it could have been okay. But I think in those situations, people are so angry and so hurt that they need something to blame. And she just kind of focused on her sister. But it was hard. Leah made me very angry. I'm not saying that she didn't lose a lot. She lost her parents too. She lost a part of herself. I imagine being severely burned like that It's going to do a lot to you mentally and emotionally. But she was still alive. She had her sister. And it just, it made me very sad for Charlotte that she was harboring all these feelings of animosity towards
0: her sister. Well, and when Leah has that dawning realization moment and she's talking to Charlotte and says, Tate was right to say what he did because Jonah was listening outside. And if he didn't agree with what Tate was saying, he would have intervened. Yeah. Yeah. So just to hear those truth bombs and realize, mm-hmm. ugh, what he's saying to me is truth.
1: One of the scenes that made me, this is kind of jumping a little head, but we're addressing Charlotte and Leah is when she has the book, the imperfections that's signed, and she doesn't want to give it, but Leah takes it, but Leah doesn't want it. Leah just wanted to hurt Hurt her. her. I just, it gutted me for her because, you know, Charlotte has just allowed her to just she has become her punching bag, essentially. Leah and just
0: chooses to punish her over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And Charlotte allows it, like you said.
1: Yeah. So you brought up that Tate comes and confronts her. And I'm so thankful for that. We're going to shift here in a minute to the other characters. But Tate really kind of opens up Leah's eyes. And that moment that she realizes all these years how she has been treating her sister, it shifts their relationship. and she And she really kind of, you know, takes a look in the mirror like, I can't treat her this way. I love her. She's alive. And she's not solely to blame for this tragedy in our lives. And so I was very thankful for that because it repairs that. Because I think Charlotte needed that. Because a big part of what they went through and how Leah treats her is the reason she was on the roof on Valentine's Day with Kellen to begin with. That's right. It was, you know, kind of the catalyst that led her to, I don't even want to live. It's not even worth it. My parents aren't alive and my sister blames me. So... When they have that shift in their relationship and
0: she... That scene where she walks in with the the outfit. Yeah. And it's not even... I love that scene so much because it's not this big grand gesture. It's Mm -hmm. something very small that before Leah never would have done. And Charlotte notices... Something is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Something is shifting between us. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to take it as a white flag and just chooses the outfit. And that's it. I mean, it was just so simple. Mm-hmm. The one with the jacket and Leah walks away and it's like that shift in their relationship taking a turn. Yeah, finally.
1: Well, when she gets the clip that her mom, it was the only thing they had because they lost everything and she takes it to Leah to wear in her hair. That was a grand And gesture. she says, will you put it in there for me? It was a beautiful moment because you see that restoration that's happening with those sisters and not just them as sisters, but for Leah too. It allowed her to open up, to start truly living, to pursue the relationship with their neighbor, Jonah, who has been in love with her, but she couldn't accept that mm-hmm. love because she couldn't see the beauty within herself. And she had a lot of bitterness and anger that she needed to work through to open herself up to that. I was thankful for those scenes and, and for ta- taking that step.
0: I was too. And one of the common themes through this book are characters dealing with inner struggles and having to overcome the way they view themselves and just transforming their mind, mindset to accept who they are and the choices that they've made. And I love how beautifully it plays out in Leah and Charlotte's relationship. I agree. Finishing out part one, we discover that Charlotte is running late on her last scheduled meeting with Kellen on that Valentine's Day. It's their senior year, and she's running late because Leah asked her to stop for cigarettes. And it's when she pulls up to the school that really starts to unravel the things that happen in parts two and three and Kellen's death and how it impacts all of the remaining characters, which leads us into part two. And this is where Charlotte and Tate first meet. She barges into Tate's office and oh my, Sarah, what a scene it was. My, oh my.
1: (laughs) When we read this, First of all, even though I knew Kellen was going to make the decision, I was holding out hope. And then when he commits suicide, it completely shifts. I can't figure out how, where the direction, the direction of which this book is going to take. So when we go to part two, Charlotte, it's, you know, four years later, she's doing well. And she is going to the doctor's office of her boss to deliver oh, yes. a message. So when she opens that door, because he's not taking calls or whatever that day, because it is Valentine's Day, Amy... I just thought, what is happening? (laughs) He's in a very
0: compromising
1: compromising (laughs) position with a woman. Let's just say it. He's in a compromising position with a woman on his desk. But when he makes eye contact with her. And holds it. And holds it. But at this point, let's just be clear. She has, at this point, made the connection that Dr. Marchetti is Kellen's brother. It's Tatum. Tate. So she knows it's him when she bursts into that she office. Does. And when she holds eye contact to make him uncomfortable, because it's Valentine's Day, it's the day Kelly committed suicide, she's having a hard day, she doesn't realize that Tate is as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, oh my goodness. And then when he wants to make her equally uncomfortable, and apparently the reader...
0: <laughs> That's secondhand It was just so...
1: Awkward. So awkward. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that scene.
0: Well, it was definitely uncomfortable. But she gut punches him ultimately in the end of that scene saying that I can see why Kellen made the choice he did. And that in that moment, Tate realizes, oh my goodness, she knew my brother. Mm
1: -hmm. When he chases after her, to try to get to her because he wants that connection I was shocked because I didn't see that and the more that it the story unfolds and we learn more about Tate and how Kellen's perception of Tate was not at all they were just like constantly missing one another is constant miscommunication and misunderstanding and all these things and that you just think if they could have just communicated
0: mm-hmm.
1: how they were truly feeling in a better way Because we come to find out Tate is devastated over Kellen's decision because Tate loved him. Like, truly loved his brother and wanted the best for him. And every decision that he made was to help Kellen to be the best that he could be. So when he's chasing after her, you know, we don't know all this at that point. Yeah,
0: you wonder, how is Parker going to redeem this character? Because she has set us up to despise him Mm -hmm. through Kellen's perspective. Right. Right. And so I was kind of feeling like Charlotte, and I knew that there would
1: have to be a shift, but I couldn't figure out how she was going to shift it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting introduction. Indeed, it was. So as Tate is chasing after her, one of the things that we kind of learn is Tate is carrying a lot of guilt with Kellen's suicide. He wants to know why, and that is why he's chasing after Charlotte. So he seeks her out. He finds out where she works, and finally gets her to agree to meet him at a coffee house to discuss Kellen. He wants to know if she knows why Kellen made he this decision. He craves any kind of information Yeah, he craves, about yeah, it, he craves it. this information because he has been carrying this guilt for four years mm-hmm. of not knowing why did he do it. What was the reason behind it? And he feels like Charlotte is the key to those answers. So as they are at this coffee house, Charlotte tells him a little bit about Kellen, but she's so protective of Kellen still that she omits a little bit of the truth because he wants to know, did you have a relationship with him? Were you just friends? What was the nature of your relationship together and the fact that he was suicidal and the fact that he was suicidal which is kind of a big one because he asked her did you know Mm -hmm. did he ever tell you and she doesn't she lies about
0: both of those having more than just a platonic friendship with him and she knew about his thoughts right
1: which i mean In her defense, they did have a platonic relationship. They They were not together. They did kiss once, but she had feelings for him. He definitely had feelings for her. But she I don't think she really knew I don't
0: think she did either the depth
1: of his feelings for her until well into the story. Yeah. When she starts finding out stuff she didn't know. So she tells him and he kind of feels, I don't think, relief, but he's still craving those answers. And they just keep kind of getting pulled together. Their paths kind of cross throughout. Tate doesn't really understand why he's so drawn to her other than she's a connection to Kellen. And she's the only one that
0: knows what he is feeling with the loss of him. Which does transition us to the scene where he invites her to their, to his home to go through Kellen's room. And right. that, that connection that they have there as they're going through his things... And just bonding over the loss of his brother and her friend.
1: Right. And that is a very heartbreaking scene because it's almost intimate. It not is. Just, not just not in a sexual way, but just in no, a... No, but in a... I mean, kind of in a... I mean, they do have a moment where mm-hmm. she breaks down. She tells him her story of why she feels kind of alone and he feels protective of her. But he also realizes he has a little bit of attraction to her. Yeah. Which is not... Kind of a
0: pivotal moment in the story, I think.
1: It is. And he doesn't like that because he's thinking, this is my brother's best friend. But also he's 34, she's 23, so he thinks that she's a child. But they have this kind of moment in this room, Vulner- which is interrupted Vulnerability. by... Yeah. Vulnerability. Yeah, Yeah. But the moment is interrupted because Kellen and Tate's dad, Terry, who's a deadbeat, interrupts it. Which we'll talk more about Terry later on.
0: You mentioned that they keep having these scenes that they're kind of thrown together. And I want to shift us into the funniest and most uncomfortably awkward scene in this whole book. And her boss (sighs) finds out that she has never had an exam, a female exam. We know that Tate is an OBGYN and... Mm -hmm. So she sets up this appointment and we have the scene where she's going to flip the penny to determine if he's going to do the exam or if he's going to get his partner to do the exam. Let's talk about this awkwardly funny, embarrassing scene. Amy, when
1: I did not think we could have anything more awkward than when she walked in on him with that woman. <laughs> and when she, oh God, I can't even say it. <laughs> Can we say it? Is our podcast rating appropriate for this? This scene is so uncomfortable. She's a virgin. She's never been examined. She's attracted to him by this point. He's attracted to her. She has a little moment. She definitely has the,
0: a big moment.
1: She, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the big O. And on his table. But I do feel like he was not examining her in the way that, you he know, these, these things go. Mm hmm. I feel like there was some liberties taken. Oh, for sure. You know, (laughs) and I know when I read this, I immediately Googled. Yes, I did, folks. I Googled, (laughs) can that happen? Oh, my goodness. How
0: embarrassing. I would die. I would die, too. I would die. Absolutely die. I kept thinking these are not how my exams go. These are not, no, to be fair, I do have a woman doing mine, but it's very clinical. It's very clinical. It's so clinical.
1: That's kind of what I thought too, is like, well, you know, the mindset, I mean, she already was, you know, attracted to the dude. So anyway, yeah. Whoo. Hello. Yeah. But I did. I Googled to see if that could happen. And I guess apparently it can.
0: Oh my gosh. How embarrassing. Yeah.
1: Well, the exam scene is definitely a one for the... You're never going to forget it. That's Even for to sure. find
0: out that she, she didn't land on
1: ha, his uh, name. I, I know. <laughs> I know. After that revelation, I thought, okay. He, I mean, he kind of acknowledged it. He handled it very well. He
0: absolutely did.
1: But... For what it was.
0: For what it was, but... Until days later when he makes a proposition
1: yes? to her. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let's shift to that. He can't stop thinking about her. She obviously cannot stop thinking about him. And... He catches her outside of work and full on says, hey, you want to be my buddy? Uh-huh. You, you want to play around? <laughs> uh, it's kind of insulting a little bit. Uh-huh. So she kind of passes on that, doesn't say it, but she walks away because he's just, Tate's spiraling. He's he slow. Well, he's on a downward spiral.
0: spiral. So Tate is still dealing with massive amounts of guilt over Kellen's death. And he's kind of using that guilt as a catapult in his feelings for Charlotte, I think, or Charlie, as he calls her.
1: I know. I love that he nicknamed her Charlie. She has these little nicknames.
0: So there's this push and pull between Tate and Charlie. They're draw to one another while they're trying to fight the urge because in his mind it's wrong. His brother was in love with her. He doesn't want to go against that. They're kind of acting on this guilt, and there's this push and pull between them back and forth, Mm -hmm. having these feelings of guilt, But also really fighting the desire to be intimate with one another and allow those feelings to grow.
1: Their relationship is so interesting to me because she, I mean, she initially is attracted to him. I mean, when she walked into his office, she realizes he is stunningly gorgeous mm-hmm. so she has that attraction we find out he's attracted to her she doesn't understand i think at that point why he's attracted to her because she has her own insecurities i do feel like they fight they both have this skill it's not even just tate's guilt over kellen she has it too and then not only do they have the weight of we should have done something i should have seen something to that nature they have this guilt of i can't be with this other person because of Kellen Mm -hmm. and Tate is just slowly she does pick up on that though that he she is kind of getting better she's really working through her grief I feel like in a good way yeah Tate is not
0: he just I almost feel like he kind of wants to punish himself maybe Mm -hmm. I don't know I'm thinking specifically of the scene in the rain out on the the front patio and they're both ultimately feeling extremely guilty over their feelings of Kellen. And this is when they're being intimate out in the rain. Oh, yeah. And I felt in that moment that they were just using one another. I did too. And it felt a little icky to me mm-hmm. in that moment. I felt like they were using their their grief as a crutch.
1: Yeah, I I almost felt like more so him even than her. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying she wasn't, but specifically Tate there for a while. Anytime he was kind of coming on to Charlie, I don't know. It, they all The kinda, motives
0: were wrong. The motives
1: were wrong. It Yeah.
0: It took me a while for my mindset to shift a bit. And, for, well, for his, really, his actions that he chose and his motivation to uh-huh. shift as well. So it wasn't until a little further into the story that I finally was feeling okay I'm team Tate I can get on board with this because your motivations you're not using her anymore Mm -hmm. she makes the declaration that she loves him Mm. we're shifting a bit into further into the story and she tells him I'm gonna give you a year I'm gonna continue to tell you that I love you I'm gonna continue to love you I'm gonna give you a year and ultimately when that year ends and even though he is feeling this he has not verbalized his feelings to her she makes the choice to walk away. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how that felt and how they dealt with that.
1: I was really proud of Charlotte for walking away because at that point as a reader, you're so invested in these characters. You just want them to have their breakthrough moment. You want him to heal and really get through those stages of grief to get to a more positive place in his life mentally where he's okay Mm -hmm. and for Charlotte as well at that point we know that he loves her we know that she loves him even though he hasn't vocalized it to her so for her to have the strength to walk away because how easy would it be to stay in that and just accept less than what you deserve mm-hmm. i'm a romantic so i always <laughs> i always struggle with that and that's not that's not a good thing cuz a lot of times these characters make the right decision but i want to fight it As a reader, I think, no, 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 don't. Because you want
0: the happily ever after. I want the happily
1: ever after. I want them to be okay. But I also recognize that she's a stronger person than me. I don't know if I would have walked away from him. So I'm proud that she did. Because it absolutely was the right thing for her, but for him. He needed to find healing without leaning on her.
0: I think so too.
1: And as hard as it was when she made that decision... I'm proud of her for doing that because Tate was never going to get better as long as Charlotte stayed. He needed to read the book, which we're going to have to shift in just a second because there's a big thing that she goes through with Kellen's dad and the story. But he needed to listen to a voicemail. We know that Kellen left him a voicemail the night that he committed suicide. And Tate has not in four years listened to this voicemail from his brother. So there were some steps that Tate needed to take.
0: You mentioned the voicemail, which I thought Charlotte brought up a very good point in the fact that here you have something tangible that your brother has left you, and you have made the choice to ignore that. She, uh, you know, in her inner dialogue talks about how she couldn't wait to consume the letter that he left for her. But Tate is kind of... Steered away from listening because he didn't want that closure, in a sense.
1: I think he was so afraid that it was going to be all the things that Kellen hated about him. And I think that in his mind, Tate blamed himself for Kellen making that decision because he omitted the fact that he did not drag him away from Terry when they were young. He did not fight for custody of him, but that Terry literally dropped Kellen on his doorstep and he had to take care of his brother it wasn't a choice that he made because he was being cruel to kellen it was a choice he made because he loved kellen mm-hmm. and kellen had nobody else and i think that tate truly was afraid that he would be the reason kellen made that decision
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i don't think that he could handle the weight of that so the not knowing but assuming was better i'm not i'm not sure i could be wrong
0: let's talk about terry you okay. you brought Terry up. So let's mm-hmm. talk about him. He's he's a lot to deal with.
1: He is a lot to deal with, and it's very hard to understand because we know that Kellen idolizes his father. First of all, we have to establish these characters they love reading, they love books. Kellen was a writer. He loved to write short stories that he shared with Charlotte. And we know that Terry was an author as well. We know that he had this book that is supposed to be the best of the best of the best books, the imperfections. Did you and pick up
0: on the fact that Kellen wrote the book? Yes, I
1: did. Yeah. As soon as we find out, cause we find out that he plagiarized it. He tells Tate at one scene, he plagiarized. And I knew instantly then Because I think at that point, too, we know that Darling Venom, the manuscript, exists. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we know there's a manuscript that exists, I knew. Because it was everything. They kept saying, it's unlike anything he's ever written. It's unlike anything he's ever written. I think at one point, somebody refers to Helen as being a prodigy. And so for me, I knew. But we don't get that confirmed until literally Literally the very very end. end.
0: I picked up on that as well when he admits to the plagiarism. Mm -hmm. But I did find... After reviewing my notes and going back, in one of the very first scenes, I think it's when Charlotte is 14, he picks a fight with someone in school because they accused his dad of plagiarizing the book. And so there's some foreshadowing oh. there, which I didn't notice until I went back to review my notes that I'd taken. Wow. Wow. And so it wasn't until he admits to the plagiarism to to Tate that I really start to have that light bulb. I remember the mention of that, but
1: I didn't make that connection when I, I I made the connection when Terry confesses. I didn't make the connection when Which is interesting to
0: me that Kellen beat this kid up because he knows Mm -hmm. it was plagiarized. Yeah, so he's standing up for his dad even in that moment as a young teen, mm-hmm. knowing what his dad took from him. It kind of makes that moment where Charlotte
1: tells him that first time that they meet that The Imperfections is her favorite book. That just the joy on his face, yes, you know, because it's it his favorite It comes full circle, too. doesn't it? It really does come full circle. And it's such, it just makes this tragedy so much more magnified, I feel like, because of all he could have accomplished. Mm-hmm. And the fact that his book was being studied at like, you know, the collegiate level and, and classes and, and people were, you know, they made a movie about it, didn't they? Mm -hmm. And so, so we know that Kellen left a manuscript. He, she finds out four years later, Leah had kept a letter and he requests her to take this manuscript, Darling Venom, which I love his nickname for her. I
0: love the nickname. And, ask
1: her to finish it and so she has to she realizes she can't she needs terry Mm -hmm. and at that point she does find out terry plagiarized but he's still an author yeah and he can still do it and so they kind of work together on this and tate does not love that idea
0: no he's established several rules for for terry terry
1: yeah terry was a really bad dad but one of the things that i loved in throughout this story as charlotte or charlie and terry are Writing and editing Darling Venom for Kellen is that Charlotte continues to encourage Tate to repair that relationship. She does. And she also encourages Terry because she reminds him, you wrote books before this. In that scene where she had they're standing on the, the doorway and she's making him say, I am not a fraud. And when he starts shouting it and he starts saying it on his own, that scene, I cried. I loved that scene. Because as Tate is carrying this guilt, Terry is carrying this guilt. Mm-hmm. As horrible of a dad he was, and I'm not making excuses for him, he felt so much guilt instilling his son's book that I think he feels like he drove him to it.
0: When you can just feel the pride in him mm-hmm. when... Darling Venom is published. Mm-hmm. He wants Kellen's name to be so much bigger than the title. He wants his son to get the recognition that he deserved with the first book. And you're right, he carries that guilt of, of stealing from his son.
1: I love that she wrote Terry coming around, that Terry got sober, which I feel like Charlotte was a big part of that, that he got sober and started to be a dad and they don't have a normal father-son relationship, but that there is a little bit of healing that takes place between Terry and Tate. And that at the end, we know that Darling Venom does incredibly well and they are honoring Kellen and they have Terry speak at it, which I thought was so funny because the lady gets up because he's talking about himself. She's like, this is about Kellen. (laughs) And he's like, or this is about Mr. Marchetti. And he's like, I am Mr. Marchetti. (laughs) But he gets around to acknowledging publicly Mm I stole the imperfections from my son. I love their little jet out that they get away. I do too. But I felt like that was a big moment for Terry because he was kind of riding a wrong that he felt he played a role in his son's suicide.
0: The scene where Charlie and Terry are talking and Tate overhears where he says, I'm living so my son has someone to hate. Mm. And then where it comes full circle and Tate finally tells Terry, stop living for me to hate you, live for you. Mm-hmm. I love that moment because it was very healing for both of them. I agree. We can shift now into part three. And we talked earlier about Kellen's voicemail, but let's spend just a few minutes talking about the content of that and how that shifts the remainder of the story. We
1: know Charlie walked away from Tate, and but she'd also blown up pictures. Of, How much did
0: you love that she did oh, that? Oh, I
1: loved it so Forcing much. Forcing
0: him because he was adamant on not reading the story.
1: But it was so beautiful because it was the part where Kellen is saying now about my brother. And when Tate finally listens to the voicemail and Kellen is just saying, I get why you did everything. You know, I understand. And I do. Like, I love you. He recognizes that Kellen really did love him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he could see that he was trying and that Kellen was just kind of fighting against that. But Kellen had already resolved to, I'm sorry. It's so emotional. This is a very sad topic. And the healing though that took place for Tate to understand that Kellen didn't make this decision because of Tate. Kellen made this decision because he was hurting so badly. It was something within inside of himself. Tate didn't know he was being bullied. Tate didn't know the treatment that people were that he was receiving from Mm -hmm. others. Kellen kept him from that. And I was thankful that he had that for his brother, that at the end, he wanted him to understand that I love you. And I also loved that he asked him to watch over
0: Charlie. I was surprised that he called her by name, but I found, I think ultimately he wrote Darling Venom for his brother. I do too. And I think he knew that both, tate and charlie needed that story Mm -hmm. i
1: think it was kind of interesting because when you bring that point up they read it as though kellen had the happily ever after with charlie Mm -hmm. but if he wrote it for tate maybe it was tate gets to have the happily ever with charlie Mm -hmm. because she's so there's just something about her that these guys are drawn to and i think Helen saw that
0: I think he did too. I think that's why in his voicemail, he names Charlotte and says, I want you to seek her out and be someone important to her. Make sure she's okay Mm -hmm. and
1: keep an eye on her. That was just, I don't know. I don't know what I expected the voicemail to be. I knew it was going to be something uplifting to help heal Mm -hmm. the broken parts of Tate's heart, but it was just so much more than what I had imagined. So Tate goes, he reaches out to Charlie, goes back to her and... I love that he does. I love that she goes up to the rooftop and he's there.
0: I love that too. I was hesitant at first on how I felt about it because in her inner dialogue, she's thinking he is shifting a safe space between Kellen and I, and he's taking those memories essentially and replacing them with memories of Tate. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I'm glad he did that. Well, when he gives her the reason why...
1: I think it's so beautiful. And we know that they finally come together. We know that he tells her, I love you, and I'm not going to get this all right. But one thing I can tell you is I will love you forever for the rest of your life. It's so beautiful. it was so incredible. And I love that he chose that spot because he does propose to her there. And she realizes in that moment she needed that. She needed those happy, those tainted memories of like the tragedy with kellen Mm -hmm. to be replaced with something beautiful and healing yeah, and healing and so we know that they they end up happily ever after they get married we know that they have this beautiful scene where kellen is being honored his book is doing well terry confesses i love the scene again i have to say that they dash out and they're giggling they're (laughs) laughing because they're running
0: away i love that parker chose to end it on that happy up Beat yes. Vibe. And then he's worried
1: because she's pregnant. And he's like, my wife she's pregnant. She's running out. But the the look, I can just picture him in his car. And he sees his wife and Terry running and she's giggling. And it just was such a light ending to such a heavy read that was so just hard. And one of the things I haven't done in a while, I have a song for this one. You have a song. I have a song. Tell us more. So I chose Flares by the script. And It's just a very moving song and I've heard it a few times and I was listening to the radio the other day and then I was thinking about this book and I thought oh that would really fit with Darling Venom and then when you read the lyrics it really I don't know for me it stuck and so I associate that so if you haven't listened to the flares uh, or flares by the script go check that out. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope you enjoyed the discussion of Darling Venom and want to continue the discussion with us. If you or someone you know is struggling with of suicide, there are resources available. You can reach out to professionals at 988lifeline.org or in the U.S. you can text or call 988 to speak with someone. We would love to hear from you. What were your thoughts on this story? Hit us up on Instagram at postbookdepressionpodcast or on Facebook in our Postbook Depression discussion group. You can also email us at postbookdepressionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep reading.